Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be people who experience daily the great love of Christ Jesus. Welcome to the Bethany Lutheran Sermon Podcast for the week of August 22nd, 2021. It's the 13th week after Pentecost, and today, Pastor Kyle Blake continues our summer series walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Today, we focus on the second part of chapter five. The key verses are in the show notes. This message was recorded live at Bethany. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're caffeinated this morning. You're ready to go, right? Ready to dig into this fun and exciting text, right? I'm glad you are. Anyway, so. Over the summer, Bethany, Holy Cross, and the Gathering, we've been walking through this book of Ephesians. And why Ephesians? Well, first of all, it's the assigned reading for this time of the church here, right? So it's pretty easy. But, but second of all, one commentator has called this the, the grand finale of Pauline theology. It, it's in Ephesians, Luther says, that we learn what the gospel actually is, and we learn how to live our lives as people of the gospel. So this morning we've been, or up to this morning, we've been journeying from July 4th through the, the book of Ephesians week by week by week. And this morning we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 6, 4. And well, when I saw I was on, right, for this Sunday, and I, I read the text and I thought to myself, how did I draw, draw the short straw? I mean, what did I do wrong? And then big Carl stands up and goes, oh, I'll do a half, one half, I'll do the other. All right, cool. So then he talks about, you know, children and parents, and I'm just like, great. So what does that leave me with? Now, I'm not the only person who drew the short straw. You have to understand, Seth is actually preaching on this text down at the gathering this morning as well. So, so he gets to do that. So I get to be here with you, and then after this, go over to Holy Cross, and he gets to be there with them. And, and I told my wife, I said, hey, honey, I get to preach on the whole wives, submit to your husbands, husbands love your wife. And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, good luck. <laughs> I mean, from the outset, this seems like it could be one of those lightning rod texts. It, can, it seems like it could be pretty controversial, yet I believe it's not quite as controversial as you might think, and it's certainly not as misogynistic as it might seem. You see, to be honest, this text puts more onus on the husband than it does the wife. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So before I, I go any further, I, I want to address verse 22. Now, we're lucky enough here to, to use God's words version, and, and so it says, wives, place yourselves under your husband's authority as, to, as you have placed yourself under the Lord's authority. Yet if you were to pick up any other translation of Scripture, right, the, the ESV, the NIV 84, the King James Version, the New Living Translation, it says, wives, submit yourselves as to your husbands as to the Lord. So let me ask, what does it mean to submit? Everybody's like, all the husbands are like, I'm not going to answer this question. <laughs> husbands, if you need to, guard your ribs, okay? Guard your ribs. Submitting is willingly yielding or giving authority or power to another. Bottom line, you have a choice in this matter, right? So, so it's not the same as the word obey. See, in a lot of our marriage uh, vows, it says, you know, will you obey? And, and, you know, sometimes the wife's like, I don't want to say the word obey. 
you know, and, and I would reply, you shouldn't say the word obey. It's not in scripture. The word is submit, not obey. Children obey your parents. That's actually in there. Sorry, guys. That's all of us, by the way, if we have parents, right? Children obey your parents, but then it talks about now, parents, this is how you treat your children. So it goes both ways on that one as well. But a wife is called to submit, to place yourself under the husband's authority, just like we're all called in verse 21 to submit to one another, right? To place ourselves under each other's authority as reflective of Christ and his church. So it's a greater illustration going on here in the narrow sense of this relationship. So wives, you're called to willingly yield authority or power to your husbands. However, husbands, oh, husbands. There have been several times I've heard guys like either jokingly or seriously, which is a whole different matter, tell their wives like, hey, you need to submit to me because I'm the head of the household. Now, as we all learned from my big fat Greek wedding, the husband might be the head, but the wife is the neck. And she turns the head any way she wants. In all seriousness, gentlemen, in a marriage relationship, we are commanded. And yes, this word that's in Greek is an imperative. We are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church. This is not something that we're asked to do, but it's something that we're told. This is then how you should live in a marriage relationship. So, how much did Christ love the church? That's the question we have to ask, right? Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, talks about the fact that Jesus, although he was in the form of God and equal with God, did not take advantage of his equality. Instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and becoming like other humans by having human appearance. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Jesus loved the church. Jesus loved you and I so much that he left his heavenly throne, took on the form of a servant, and willingly went to the cross and died. He did this so that his bride, the church, might be without faults or blemish. He loved us so much that he was willing to do all it took and even more, even giving up his own life. And he did this not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we were even nice. He did this out of his great love for us. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to talk about this love of Christ. He says this love of Christ is patient and kind. It's je- it, it isn't jealous. It doesn't sing its own praises. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't think of, itse- of itself. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep track of wrongs. It isn't happy when injustice is done, but it's happy with the truth. Love never stops being patient. It never stops believing. It never stops hoping, never gives up, and never comes to an end. In Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians, Paul talked about it's wide and long and deep, and it goes far beyond our knowledge. Gentlemen, this is the love that we received from Christ. And this is the love that we're called to love our wives with each and every day. How are you doing? 
No pressure. Of course, at this point, somebody's ribs might be sore because the wife might be, love is patient, love is kind, love is, you know, right? You know, the wife might be like, hey, husbands, you better listen up to this guy, right? Wives, you know, I mean, you have to realize that as we all talk about, we're talking about believers, you know, we're talking about male and female. When Paul admonishes Christians to not think of each other more highly than necessarily, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to, to be thinking the same towards one another in loving thoughts, to, to look not only to your own interests, but, uh, but to the interest of others. You see, Paul calls that there be no division in the body, but members care equally for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to love each other as they love themselves. So even if you're not married, you're really not let off the hook. We're called to live the gospel lives that have been given to us through Christ Jesus. We're called to lives of service and love rooted in Christ himself. to serve one another as we have been served. So yes, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. To live out your calling as a Christian woman and to be re- that to be reflected in your life and in your marriage. To love your husband, to submit to him. But then conversely, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, will either of you do what God has called you to do perfectly? Oh, no. Well, me, yes, but you. (laughs) Just don't don't ask my wife. Um, But that's why it's important for us to to live in the forgiveness and the grace that we've received. It's also important for us to, to work together to remind each other that you are, that yes, you're imperfect, but you're loved and you're forgiven and you're, you're made new in Christ Jesus. And it's important to not only live this out in our, our relationships, our marriage relationships, our relationships with others, but also relationships with our kids. To know that we didn't, we don't have perfect kids. So, so how does this play out in marriage, right? What does this look like? What's an illustration that can really kind of, you know, help us to take it home, if you will, and, and, and go with it? And to be honest with you, I had nothing. But the best part is, is Seth is preaching on this too, so I went to Seth. You know, he's a wide old, wise old sage. Anyway, and I said, Seth, what illustration are you going to use for this? Like, how are you going to help people to kind of connect the dots, right? And he goes, easy. It's a relationship between a pitcher and catcher. I stopped, I thought for a second, and I thought, Seth, that is brilliant. Of course, I told my therapist that, and she was like, yeah, that probably won't go over with everybody, but, but I'm going to run with it, all right? I'm going to run with it. So indulge me for a second, because if you think about it, you know, you, in a baseball team, you've got a pitcher, and you've got a catcher, and they've got to work together. Now, I will admit, this, this, this illustration breaks down really quickly when you start thinking about you have multiple pitchers on a team or multiple catchers, right? So for, the, for this illustration, we're thinking on this team, there's only one pitcher and one catcher, right? Till death do us part. So if you're a baseball or softball fan, I, I got to ask, who gets the glory in a no-hitter? The pitcher, right? Wives, you're the pitcher. Husbands, that would make us the catcher. 
Now, the catcher and the pitcher both have a role in this no-hitter, right? They, they both have a very important role. In fact, if, you, if you've ever been on the baseball field or played baseball or watched baseball, by the way, go Astros, you know, uh, I forgot my trash can this morning. Tell me what's next. Anyway, you know there might be somebody stealing your signs. Anyway, you know that a catcher is telling the pitcher, hey, this is what we need to pitch, right? So, so you need to pitch a fastball. And the, and the pitcher's like, I don't want to pitch a fastball. It's like, no, you need to pitch a fastball. I don't want to pitch it. Okay, fine, pitch a curveball. I will pitch a curveball. Okay, here we go, right? So that's a curveball, right? So it's a back and forth. There's got to be communication. There's got to be a mutual respect. There's got to be a love for the game and to know that you're on the same mission together, right? We're going to do this together. This is how we're going to win this game together, by communicating. The, the pitcher is submitting to the will of the catcher who's calling the signs. But the pitcher's got to pitch, right? The catcher is not only calling the signs, he's also watching the entire field. He doesn't want somebody to, to steal second or to steal third. And in fact, if the, if the pitch is off, he's putting his life and his body on the line. Or, or up to 2014, he would actually stand in front of the plate and guard the plate when a runner was coming in. Now he has to at least have the ball to do that, right? And so you have this relationship. There has to be communication. You have a team around him, too. Right? You've got first base people and right fielders. That's the church. That's where we come around our married couples and we encourage them and we, we support them and we watch after them. And, and when something gets flubbed up, we, we're there to kind of help them with that, right? But who ultimately is the person putting together the game plan? The coach, right? The catcher's following the coach's game plan. Well, who's the coach? It's God. He's the one who comes up with the game plan, right? He's the one who, who says, hey, this is what we need to do. Here's, here's what we need to do per batter, right? And, and he's the one that when the pitcher and the catcher start getting off, right? When like the catcher's like, oh, this is a fastball hitter. Throw a fastball. Let's see how this works out for you, right? Or the, the pitcher's like, oh, you want a curveball, huh? I'll throw you a curveball, all right? You know, let's see how this happens for you. Throws a fastball right into the face mask, right? Not that that ever happens in our marriage relationships. He's the one who calls a, a meeting on the, on, the, on the mound, and he says, hey, guys, remember the game plan. Remember the mission. Let's, let's work at this together. Now, like I said, there are where days where the pitcher or the catcher, they might be off. Sometimes we actually have to call a timeout. Sometimes the coach doesn't even call a timeout. The catcher says, hey, timeout on the field. Let's refocus, right? Let's, let's have some reconciliation. Let's communicate. Let's get back on the same page. Right? Sometimes we need to do that in our marriages, don't we? To kind of slow the game down a little bit and have some conversation. See, we have to remember that we're imperfect people. The pitcher's not perfect. The catcher's not perfect. The coach is perfect. In fact, the coach has already won the game for us, hasn't he? In fact, when we hit the field, we're already World Series champions, like the Astros. We're already World Series champions. <laughs> and the Doyers. Anyway, and so the coach is saying, play like World Series champions. Like, you, this is who you are, because the coach is the one who's called us together. The coach is the one who selected us to be on the team. The coach is the one who's already won the victory. 
It's not because of how great we are or that we really bring something to the table, but because we're loved and we're valued. The coach looks at you and says, hey, you, I want you to come play. And you're like, me? And he's like, yeah, you, I love you. I think you're going to play great on my team. Come be a part of this. So when we're having a bad game or we're having a bad day, we keep messing up. It's the, the coach who comes to us and realizes or reminds us that we're loved and we're forgiven. And he calls us to do the same for our fellow teammates, to even do the same in our marriages. I can tell you, after 19 years of marriage and two kids, I, I think I, I have now the ability to say, marriage is hard work. And there's no perfect person in marriage. Well, we already established I am, but let's not talk to my wife about that, right? Nor my kids, for sure. We all need to experience forgiveness and mercy. We all need to know that we're loved and valued. And sometimes we all need to make sure that we're seeking to pitch and catch in the same game. As this whole text pertains to Christ and us, as it pertains to Christ and the church, the beauty of Ephesians, as I said at the beginning, is that it, it shares what the gospel is, and then we're called in response to live out as gospel people. So let me remind you through the words of St. Paul in Ephesians 2 and 3 that God has brought us back to life together with Christ Jesus and has given us a position in heaven with him. He did this through Christ Jesus out of his generosity in order to show his extreme rich kindness to the world come. God saved us through faith as an act of kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything that you've done or I've done so that no one can brag about it. God has made us what we are. He's created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works, the works that he gives us to do. And so like Paul, I pray that, that the love of Christ may ground us. And that as we're grounded, we would live and we would sink our roots into that love. And it would be the foundation of all we do. That way with all of God's people, you and I will be able to understand how wide and long and deep and high this love truly is. And we will know Christ's love, which is, goes far beyond any of our knowledge. We'll be completely filled with God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be people who experience daily the great love of Christ Jesus, his mercy and his forgiveness, his grace and his kindness. And may we be people that daily seek to reflect and respond to that love that's been given to us freely by doing the same with others we come in contact with. First, our spouses, than our children or parents, with our neighbors, and with anyone else we come in contact with. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463.
That's give, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. Join us next week as Pastor Kevin Kreitzer brings us a message from Ephesians chapter 6. 